Hello lovelies, Sister Babushka here, just jumping in. What we have here is a little bit of a bonus episode, if you will. The story behind this is that we had obviously done queer history stories for LGBTQ plus history month in the UK for this month's episode. And what we came across while we were telling our stories to each other that we, one, had quite a lot of good stories that we wanted to keep in, but two, we also had a story that we felt was important, but maybe didn't necessarily fit in with the rest of the episode. And so what we're doing here is we're releasing the unedited audio of the recording of that part of the discussion. The caveat to this is that it is very recent history and it does contain trigger warnings for suicide as well as state-sponsored terrorism in the sense that it is a state carrying out homophobic attacks on its own people. And so if you're not in a headspace to deal with these heavy topics, you can just skip this. You do not need to listen to this episode. However, if you are in a place to deal with it and you do wish to listen to this, then this is an additional piece of our LGBTQ plus history episode. But as said, it is unedited, so do forgive any sort of breaks or awkward pauses. You're getting to see a bit behind the curtain here, but we felt this story was so important to remind people of why we do what we do that... It felt wrong to have recorded it, but not share this story. And we feel it's such an important story to get out. So if you are listening, we hope you enjoy and we hope it raises your awareness to this. It gives you perspective to reflect on what's discussed. If you're not in a headspace to deal with it, that is fine. We will be back at the start of March with the next episode of Our Own Nonsense with our usual silliness and joy. So apologies for the heavy bonus episode, but we hope you do enjoy it if you do choose to listen. Have a good rest of the day, lovelies. Cool. Shall we have another one of your stories then? Well, this time it is a lot more recent, uh, this story. So obviously it also is coming with a bit of a trigger warning uh, for people. So I'll again flag it as I'm telling the story, but there is mention of kidnapping, a bit of torture and eventually suicide. So if none of these are your jam, uh, please feel free to skip this part. You don't have to listen if you're not in the right headspace for it, if you don't want to hear that at all. Um, but yeah, I'm going to talk about Seva Hegazi. So you saved the best to last? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> always the fun one, me, I mean, I. Um, I've ended I thought... on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought, it was, it was great to hear some of the stories that we've had so far of these really extravagant lifestyles and all this sort of amazing people, you know, that have broken um, the patriarchy, the gender norms, the societal norms that they've been experiencing. Um, and I wanted to also include this one, which was more recent, which is a lot more down to earth story and probably resonates with quite a few people, um, but also touches on the fact that history is still happening now. Um, you know, and that just because we talk about all these things and we can look at where we've been in the past and how far we've come, it's also worth remembering at times that there is still a way to go. And this story really, it really resonated with me. And it was like, oh, yeah. And I felt I felt I couldn't not tell it sort of thing. Um, so to crack open this fun one, <laughs> you'll all... <I'm> wait. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Sarah Hagazi was an Egyptian socialist writer and lesbian activist. Um, born in 1989, uh, she was the eldest of four siblings and 
she would actually help her mother um, look after the rest of her siblings when her father um, passed away early in her life. Uh, she was so clever, so clever. Um, she, you know, got a bachelor's degree in information systems uh, with the American University in Cairo, continuing her education center. Uh, there was through distance learning. She also completed the certificates for fighting for equality, 1950 to 2018, uh, feminism and social justice, research methods, diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and also understanding violence. Um, and that was through a variety of different universities, both in the US, uh, in London as well. So there was a lot of online learning um, in early in her life. And, well, in 2010. And she actually, it was in September 2017. Um, she was attending a concert uh, for the Lebanese band Mashrao, um, whose Mashrao Lila, um, whose lead singer um, is actually openly gay. And so this event was happening in Cairo. And Obviously, Sarah was there uh, with a group of others, and they were waving about rainbow flags in support of LGBTQ rights, as obviously a lot of people that go to concerts these days where you've got openly queer um, representation on stage, you know, a lot of people feel very comfortable waving that pride flag, letting that singer know, you know, they see that singer, but also they want to be seen by that person that is expressing things that they have also felt. So... She was actually charged with holding, uh, she was charged with joining an organization uh, to controversial of the law to incite acts of immorality and debauchery. What's because, good for that? Because she waved a LGBTQ plus flag. Yes. Is that joining? What? <laughs> I feel like th those are some, some very difficult, just. How did you put that case together? What? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, Egypt, um, it's one of those places where it is not illegal as such in the law. Um, but what happened was this concert and the incident actually coincided with Egypt's approach to a zero tolerance, zero tolerance crackdown um, to end uh, support for LGBTQ plus rights in Egypt. So part of this was seen as a, ah, they've done a thing and we want to crack down on this thing. So we're going to make an example out of these people oh. who happen to, you know, be a group of people that were rounded up because they waved this flag. And obviously they were then seen as being an organization um, instead of people that happened to be at the gig at the same time. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So she was basically in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they thought we are just going to make an example of these people. And she happened to be one of those people. Yeah. And because oh. the LGBTQ plus community is basically posited as a sort of national security threat by the Egyptian government, <laughs> religious authorities and also political parties. And um, because, you know, the, the gays are clearly as dangerous as nukes or other terrorist organizations out there. That's because they've discovered that we have a gay agenda. And now they know that there's an agenda. <laughs> <laughs> they're feared for their lives. <laughs> yes, clearly they're afraid they're on the agenda. <laughs> of all the things to be afraid of, honestly. 
I would think you've got much bigger problems in society than that. No. <laughs> um, so obviously, again, as I'm just going to say, um, as we're talking a bit about Sarah's arrest, I'm just going to, again, say there is a trigger warning for this part specifically around, you know, assault and abuse of power and, every, you know, all the things that you can imagine a state government um, trying to oppress people might employ. So I would recommend if you are not feeling up for that, just jump ahead um, for a bit. So she was jailed for three months. Um, and obviously, male agents had actually incited other inmates to both beat her and verbally and sexually assault her as well because of her waving that pride flag and showing her support for LGBTQ plus rights. And she had actually written that when she was released, she had written about it you know, publicly and explained that she'd been arrested at home in front of her family. So not only was she going through that trauma, but her siblings and her mother were having to watch her be arrested. And obviously, during the process, the officers had even questioned her about her religion, uh, why she'd stopped um, wearing her hijab, which she had actually worn um, up until 2016, where she then came out as a lesbian. So it was only when she chose, uh, you know, when she realized her sexuality, that she had felt she did not want to wear the hijab. But again, there were questions on that, as well as whether or not she was a virgin, and also that the fact that after that questioning, she was blindfolded and they took her by car to a location she didn't know about. So there was That's a lot like of... kidnap, really, isn't it? Yes, yeah, state-sponsored state kidnapping, all to intimidate and oppress people that aren't actually causing harm to the state. I can't even imagine just how terrifying that would be. Like, it's just, yeah. it's unthinkable. Oh. Yeah, it's... It really does remind you sometimes of the privilege of where you're born, you know, the, the sheer luck of where you're born and the sort of community that you have around you. So, yeah, it was something that, you know, Sarah had to, went through um, because of homophobia in her own country. That was, you know, basically state-sponsored um, terrorism against its own people, as far as I'm concerned, you know, because she was also, you know, at some point she was gagged with a cloth, she was elected she was treated to electric shock um you know and she was also threatened that her mother would be harmed um at some point during her ordeal uh, but she was eventually released um you know after her three months and she was fined a hundred a uh, thousand egyptian pounds which is 56 dollars so it, it's not really the fact that there was a hefty fine to it but obviously all the emotional and physical abuse that had happened throughout that ordeal and like that was some her. <laughs> like she yeah. deserves the money you pay her as compensation <laughs> yeah all all that because somebody wants to live their life authentically and just be themselves right all this came from just waving a flag like nothing no oh <laughs> nothing else happened yeah um so after what after her release obviously Surprisingly, for somebody that's been through that ordeal, Sarah did have depression, panic attacks, post-traumatic stress disorder. And at some point af after that ordeal, because she feared for the prosecution that could happen again, because, you know, the system hadn't changed. Um, she had sought asylum in Canada in 2018. So she did leave Egypt and go over to Canada. However, in 2020, in June, um, she actually passed away 
and it was confirmed that her death was because of suicide. Oh, how sad. Yeah. Oh, all um, the people that did that to her just, I don't know if they'll ever realize what yeah. they did. I hope they feel guilty for the rest of their lives. Pauling. It is, you know, it's actually disgusting that it happened to somebody, especially somebody that was their citizen and the state is there to protect its citizens, you know, every single one of them. It's not there to abuse. And so I actually, there was a short le letter written by Higazi. Um, so it was circulated and I'm just going to read a part of it because I thought it, it summed up obviously what you could imagine a lot of people who have been through that might feel. Um, and so she did write to my siblings, I tried to survive and failed. Forgive oh, me. Nice. To my friends, the experience was harsh and I am too weak to resist it. Forgive me. To the world, you were cruel to a great extent, but I forgive. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, the fact that this was somebody that was basically 30 years old um, they ended up taking their own life because of how their own country treated them and you know there was obviously an outpouring from the queer community um, afterwards oh look at that crying on camera isn't that <laughs> ending like, on a high it sounds like even at the end she lived with grace and humility and there was there's just no hate not hateful one in her body yeah and yeah, there was obviously a lot of outpouring from the LGBTQ plus community. You know, the singer of the band that she'd went to see <laughs> when she got arrested, they'd actually dedicated a song to her. There were murals in various cities around the world. Um, there was even the Association for Women's Rights and Development actually named her in their tribute to 450 feminist activists who have changed the world. And so there was a lot of outpouring um, and, you know, pain that, Again, somebody's life was cut so short because people were just intolerant and bigoted and couldn't be bothered to accept differences in their own society. And yeah, I wish, again, I wish it could be a super happy ending, but again, people in Egypt as well as Jordan and other places in the Middle East didn't necessarily understand what they'd done wrong. Um, with street murals and graffiti art in Jordan being covered up and, you know, were basically blacked out. So where there were rainbow flags with Sarah's image over it or her words, those were covered up as quick as possible. Uh, talked about not being, you know, Arab culture or Islamic culture. Um, there was obviously a lot of online homophobia and transphobia smear campaign against her in Egypt at the time. And even the Arabic Wikipedia um, had removed her page, which caused a lot of consternation and discussions around the fact that why would you, why would you try and erase somebody's um, importance? And the fact that they were trying to claim that there was a lack of sufficient notability um, for Sarah um, was one of the reasons given for trying to take her off the Arabic version of Wikipedia. Has anything positive come from what happens like in the aftermath has there been any takeaways where people have learned things have improved anything at all <laughs> <laughs> anything. Um, so, so obviously the the 
there is you know a lot of people sort of again waking up to the you know the understanding that there are still places in the world that are not lgbtq plus friendly and there's a lot of way to push both in you know north africa africa but also the middle east um and so yeah the although the you know, it seems like her native country and those surrounding it have not necessarily learned their lessons. There were a lot of people that were touched by Sarah's story. And obviously there was that outpouring of grief. There was, you know, the naming of her as a key feminist for changing the world. There was also the Arab Network for Knowledge about Human Rights released a statement um, on behalf of 42 regional and international queer rights organizations commemorating her and you know announcing a pride day for lesbian and queer women for the middle east and north africa so there was a lot of push as well to again push forward those lgbtq plus rights which are basically human rights um within the region and making sure that we're challenging censorship hate speech government coordinated persecution and terrorism because it's government terrorism at the end of the day yeah. and so, so she yeah, had ripples around She's had ripples around the world then, even if her own country still is is struggling with dealing with these kind of things appropriately. But at least, yeah, her presence has been felt elsewhere. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's murals uh, over in Canada, in the US, there's in Paris. There's also one in the UK down in Brighton. So I think it would be great if when we're allowed to travel, when, you know, England isn't a hot spot for COVID, when Scotland isn't a hot spot for COVID, it might be nice um, as a couple of sisters to maybe go down there, because obviously she passed during the coronavirus pandemic, so obviously, you know, we've not had the chance to properly look at those things, but yeah, I thought it was worth sharing Sarah's story, because it highlights the fact that no matter how far we've come, there is still so much more to go, and that we can't be complacent you know, and as we see it every day, not just with transphobia uh, rising in the UK, but in other places around the world where hate speech and bigotry is, again, you know, challenging people in new and horrible ways in the 21st century. Again, making sure we're not taking these hard-won rights for granted and that we're continuing to push so that we're not just comfortable in how we live and we can, you know, we can gussy up in our fabulous outfits as much as we want in Scotland, but also making sure that our siblings around the world also have that opportunity and that availability. So, you know, queer history, as much as it's about remembering what's come before us, it's also about making sure we're inspiring people to make that history going forward as well, in my view anyway, which is why I wanted to share this. Agreed. I think that was a really important story. And as you say, it's, it's not as far back in history, but it's actually a story that we need to make sure is told and that, you know, people continue to talk about this story. Mm-hmm.